Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening, Danny. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the to the room in which we thank record you. the podcast again thank you you have been on social media tweeting away tweeting at all your favorite critics uh insulting insulting them yelling at them calling them names and yeah. stuff you know stirring the pot being a troll once That's in me. a while you're you give a nice response <laughs> just to shake it up once in a blue moon once in a blue moon you engage so uh ashley clark who does he work for oh he's the specialty film programmer for something in Brooklyn called BAM Film. Yeah, I think he lives in America now, but he programmed the BFI Black Star season and occasionally writes for Science Sounds I believe and he went Film to, Comment. He went to university with um, Sonia, who I live with, I yeah. believe, if she knows him. Anyway, so he uh, quoted, he's like he's like taking a picture from a review of Tropic Thunder. I don't know why he stumbled onto this. Uh, he doesn't name the critic, but it's David Edelstein. I looked this up. Right. Um, and he says, another deafening, clanging, knuckle-suckingly, thigh-claspingly bad error of judgment from a certain critic. I'm shocked. And Edelstein says, has this to say about Tropic Thunder. He's talking about Robert Downey Jr. playing a character who's playing a black character. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. So Edelstein is defending the, 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 the blackface in the movie. He says, but there's a bigger reason the portrait isn't offensive. As much as Downey sends up the shafts and superflies, he respects the beauty and weight and potency of the archetype. He drops his voice an octave at least, and what comes out is gorgeous. He really does make a damn fine negro. Yeesh. When I first when I read that, my initial thought was that it was by that uh, National Review um, guy, Armand, Armand White. White. Yeah, sure. Well, That'd I was be, just like, that is contrarian views because yeah. he's a because he's a total contrarian. And B, I was like, I just can't imagine any non-black critic writing the phrase "damn fine Negro." Yeah, like outside of the nineteenth century. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it's the white critic David Edelstein of, of uh, Vulture magazine, I think, or New York magazine. Uh, anyway, so you replied to him saying, is this talking about Tropic Thunder or Putney Swope? So that's... Uh, to explain, yeah. uh, Putney Swope is a f- art film from the late 60s directed by Robert Downey Sr. about a black man who works in an ad agency and ends up running the place and tries to preach like love and freedom. 
but Robert Downey Sr. dubbed over his lead actor's lines in his black voice. If I give you a raise, everybody's going to want a raise. And if I give them a raise, they'll still be making more money than you. And we'll be right back where we started. So when the guy was talking about soothing tones, I immediately thought like, oh, he's talking about Robert Downey Sr. Because it's come up a lot because in Sorry to Bother You, there's this whole thing about doing white a white voice. voice yeah. And it's also a satire. So the movie Pony Sweats we mentioned a lot. And then I realized because he references Shaft and Superfly, which is in the 70s. So I was like, oh, it's Downey Jr. Yeah, so you replied to yourself and said, wait, stupid question. Putney Swope came out in 1969. Weird that father and son both did blackface 30 years apart, though. To which Ashley Clark replies, not a stupid question. And actually a fascinating point that I'd never considered. There's a think piece in that. You should write it. Oh, my God. So you have been blessed with the task of writing a think piece. Sorry, Sam, cancel the recording. (laughs) I feel like I'm the one to really insightfully, you know, tackle this issue as a white middle class guy. Well, it's quite clear that Ashley Clark wants you to do it. So I think you should. I read his book. So I just specifically about blackface. Yeah. He's the expert on blackface, and yet he's anointed you, his successor, on the, on the basis of one tweet about Pony Swope. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a vote of confidence, isn't it? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So... I don't know what to do. I'm sort of starstruck. Congratulations are in order, I guess. Wow. Okay. Well, come back next week for my epic 4,000-word dissertation about the Downey senior and junior and their relationship to African-American actors. Yeah, junior, senior. Junior, senior. <laughs> move, move your feet and get united. <laughs> A study. In, in, in opposition to, <laughs> to uh, racist yeah, caricatures. Yes. Yes. Cool. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> full of uh, joy that Ashley Clark has anointed me. The, the champion of running about blackface that yeah. I don't I forgot what this podcast is even about why am I here I'm happy to explain that to you Danny don't you worry it's a podcast about Boston Police Department officers detectives Sergeant Sam Foster and Detective Lieutenant Danny Moran who discover and steal several shards of gold while on duty Sam buries his share under an orange tree sapling in his garden his wife Julia thinks that the tree is a surprise gift and mentions how content she is with their life together. Sam realizes that uh, they do not need the gold that they stole and decides to submit it as evidence. During a raid later on, Danny tells Sam that he can't let him turn in that gold. Danny then shoots and kills Sam. My God. Awful. Time stops around Sam, and he is drawn into a vortex in the sky. In the afterlife, as penance for his thievery, Sam is recruited into the RIPD, the Rest in Peace Department. The RAPD is responsible for finding and returning souls who refuse to move on to the afterlife. Left unchecked, these souls become deados, monsters disguised as humans, and when their souls begin to rot, the environment rots around them. He is partnered with Roycephus Roy Pulsifer. That's a pretty cool name there. A former U.S. Marshal and participant in the American Civil War. Their first stop is a cemetery to watch Sam's funeral. Sam attempts to make his presence known to Julia. That's my wife. I'm Sam. <laughs> uh, but I'm not recognized. And Roy explains that the RAPD officers are given new identities and appearances to prevent them from revealing that the afterlife exists. Imagine what it would be like if people found that out. It'd be chaos. What? It would be a nightmare. Yeah. That's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2013 American fantasy buddy cop action comedy film 
R.I.P.D. starring Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. Instead, this is just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, the bloody, uh, backstabbing, uh, treacherous, crooked what? cop, Danny Moran. Hello, Sam. Not since that episode where we reviewed Barry Lyndon and Suicide Squad have we reviewed films of such differing quality. First up, I'll be reviewing Assassination Nation, an edgy satire that takes a hard look at modern society and doesn't fucking blink. It is hashtag relevant, but unfortunately is also hashtag shallow, hashtag exploitative, and hashtag fucking shit. <laughs> then we'll be tackling one of the year's most acclaimed films, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, which is a lavishly shot, beautifully performed, deeply moving film, which demands to be seen on just the nearest screen available to you. Whatever the size. Doesn't matter. It's, Watch it on your iPod now. Watch it on your you iPod. It's, it's weird. It's on Netflix. It's weird. Plus, I look at... So I look at it. You're not invited. Definitely read everything the first person. <laughs> Plus, I'll be looking at the new film by everyone's favorite director, Sir Stevie Spielberg, and we'll be discussing the latest Netflix TV series. I say latest, by the time this episode goes out, there's probably another 25 that's been announced. All of which should leave me just enough time for me to tell you about my latest internet campaign. It's a petition for Disney to make a live-action version of Basil the Great Mouse Detective. The old version does not cut anymore. I need a new version, and by new, I mean exactly the same but with eye-wateringly expensive CGI. I need John Favreau to immediately hold production on The Mandalorian. <laughs> Get on board. Only Favreau has the balls to pull this off. So just go to change.org forward slash Basil the Great Mouse Detective HD as fuck. <laughs> Is that all part of the URL? Yeah. And add your name, email address, and uh, maybe a comment just adding to my argument of why it should happen. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I think a, a live, lifelike-looking Basil, who resembles in every respect a real mouse, yeah. but is computer-generated, is what we need right now. It's what we need to heal the nation. That's what we need. That's what I need. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Boo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long, we've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Danny, I have a question for you about the uh, fancy new Lion King. Yeah. In the original cartoon Lion King, they have the goose-stepping hyenas. Yeah. Will they include, like, completely real-looking hyenas that also goose-step? I think it has the potential to look a bit silly, but I would also love to see it. Well, if the teaser trailer is anything to go by, it looks like a basically like a shot-for-shot remake, so... Shot-for-shot remake, except the animals look like real animals. Yeah. Which is what, that's what it needed, right? Like, you need a warthog that looks like an actual fucking warthog, not like a cartoon. It's going to be horrific, right, when um, his dad dies. It's pretty sad when it's just, like, 2D uh, cell animation. It's, like, lifelike, you know, stampeding, being trampled to death. He's nudging the dead body. How's that going to be a you, you know? Well, it's just going to look like a wildlife documentary or something. You know? looks bad i don't i think there's something conceptually flawed about making like uh animated movies uh starring animals where they look like real animals 
Yeah. Because there's nothing realistic about animals that talk. They can't emote because yeah. their faces aren't cartoons. That's the real benefit of having a cartoon face, you know? Whereas, like, if it looks like a real lion, I don't know how emotional it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Great poker players' lines. Great poker players. Can't read an animal. All animals are good poker players, actually. Yeah. What's the most expressive animal? If they have digits, like uh, opposable thumbs. The most expressive animal is the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. All right, actually. Anything that's close to a human. All right, I'm I'm actually going to row back a little bit now because I think cats are quite expressive. So I think like lions probably will be able to do a reasonable job. I think better than like, I think it was a problem in the Jungle Book because I thought Baloo the bear was not very cuddly because it was like a real bear. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't think he he couldn't do a very cuddly job, I think. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the lion, maybe the lion can make me cry when it's just the film I've already seen, but now it looks real. Who knows? The whole thing's too cynical, I find. Just like, I don't know. It's exactly the same. They've even cast the same guy, um, James Earl Jones, as Mustafa. And then like every other actor is just someone who is similar to the previous person who originated the role. So instead of um, Nathan Lane and whoever was Pumba. Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner. It's like who Nathan Lane can't do it again. So who's the get me that 2018 equivalent? Yeah, exactly. Who's the sort of gay actor du jour? (laughs) It's like Billy Eichner and like Seth Rogen kind of does sound like the guy did it before, like a sort of chuckly man, (laughs) chuckly warthog man, chuckly warthog man, (laughs) and like John Oliver is Zazu. He just actually like looks like Rowan Atkinson. Like who's a sort of beaky British comedian? Yeah, the whole thing is just like. Favreau, you're just a hack, you know. What happened to you? You used to be so money. Well, he's like a, you know, he's clearly a sort of hired hand on this. Yeah. I guess he was the jun- Jungle Book as well. But, I mean, the, this entire project of Disney's is really bizarre, to be honest. But it's just a money-printing machine, I guess. Yeah. Do you reckon they're going to start making, like, Toy Story live action? Maybe they'll turn, it, they'll turn that into a cartoon, wouldn't they? Uh, they just turn, turn that into, that into a, a, 2D, a 2D animation. And then they'll turn it into a hit Broadway musical. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised if it wasn't one already. Yeah, I don't know. Cynical. Cynical, I find it. Cynical, I find it to be. Cynical, I find it to be. No, I agree. It's inescapably cynical. It's hard to think of anything that's, you know, any other way to describe it. Can't wait. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. Netflix, they haven't run out of money. They, the Limitless wallet is still, still open still open and bulging. <laughs> and they're like, well, what should we do next? And they have commissioned a 10-episode live-action version of the seminal anime series Cowboy Bebop, which, if you're not familiar with, follows the adventures of a bounty hunter called Spike as he travels around in space doing various jobs and has an awesome kind of bluesy swing soundtrack it's kind of similar to a miyazaki movie in a way and it's not a sort of very distinctly japanese property which is very influenced by western iconography yeah that's true and they've been trying to get a movie of it off the ground for years with kind of reeves attached and that hasn't happened but netflix have come in we've written a check so large that no one could resist it <laughs> and they're gonna make a tv show of it it's not clear from the news story whether it's going to be English or Japanese, but it seems like it's going to be English language version based on the fact the showrunners are American. That does seem like a solid bet, yeah. Solid bet. And uh, yeah, that's all we know. No casting's been announced. It's got a very... I've watched a couple of episodes of Cowboy Bebop. It's got a very kind of odd atmosphere to it. It's yeah. weirdly like action-packed and yet laid back. The whole mood of it is yeah, very yeah. kind of chilled. 
So even when like there's explosions happening and people fighting, there's no there's no great tension to it. You know, it's just kind of glides along at this nice pace with this pleasant jazz soundtrack, um, and it does no work whatsoever to set up its world. I feel like this is characteristic of animated series in some way. I don't know. I feel like if there's a, a bunch of them where they just like present you with this world and you just kind of ask you to catch up. It doesn't really explain anything, Cowboy Bebop. It's just like you just the first episode might as well be episode twenty or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the main guy, he's this sort of um, it's like a mod. <laughs> well, he's this kind of lanky, chilled out dude. He's got a bit of a Philip Marlowe kind of air to him. He's really, really good at fighting for some reason. He just like kicks everyone's ass really easily, but he always kind of he's like a bit clumsy and always kind of messes up his like fans, causes a bit of a ruckus. And uh, yeah, it's just like an odd property. And it and I assume that translating it to live action will require sanding off its weirder edges and then making you wonder why this exists because it will seem you know kind of generic. But I don't know. Absolutely. There's also a thing of because it's a Japanese TV series steeped in Western culture to make it into an English language version defeats the point in a way yeah 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 very much so it's like it's kind of like the cultural exchange is the kind of interesting part of it so when you just sort of do that one more time it's like a copy of a copy yeah i don't a, know it's a, just like another thing that looks like they've picked out of a catalog and then like <laughs> throw money at this yeah, yeah people people will watch it i mean how big an audience is there for cowboy bebop is it enormous like the, it, it would be well i imagine the like hardcore fans would be just hate the idea of it right yeah and most people haven't really heard of it I don't know, it's got like a bit of cultural cachet, I guess. But, you know, it's about a cool guy who wears a suit and just like kills people. Like, that's every, sh- you know, what's yes. the unique <laughs> selling point? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't I mean, wait. Obviously, obviously, I can't wait to see it and I, and I will watch it and I can't wait to. Here's another project for which we cannot wait. Steven Spielberg, a man using all of his fingers to uh, insert them into different pies at the moment. He's got so much on the trot. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But the next project that he's actually uh, directing himself as a director is going to be an adaptation of West Side Story. Just another Bold thing move. that is being exhumed and represented to us again. Um, Fantastic. In order to excite us and tickle that little nostalgia bone. Oh, I can't wait. Or, you know, you've, you've, you've watched the 1961 original classic film. I have. You've heard the soundtrack a million times. You've probably sung some of the songs to yourself in the shower. Now we get to live it all again. Fantastic. Fantastic. And another element to the movie, which is going to twig everyone's nostalgia sense and make them immediately weep, is that he is casting... One of the original cast uh, in his new movie, Rita Moreno, who played Anita in the original and uh, one of Best Supporting Actress. Um, and she is back, not playing the same role. That, that would have been awesome. That, that would have been bold and cool. So I'm disappointed to say that she is, in fact, playing a kind of version of the corner store owner, Doc, who employs uh, Tony, the male lead in West Side Story. So they've sort of changed that role and now it's going to be uh, the you know, Anita right. Actress. Spielberg talks about this. He said, from our earliest discussions, we wanted to include Rita Moreno. Her Anita is one of the greatest musical performances ever filmed and a personal favorite of mine. We created an original role for her, original role, and we feel beyond fortunate that Rita will bring her extraordinary gifts as an actress as well as her deep understanding of West Side Story to this production as an executive producer. Wow. So she's also doing that. Going to be very Good busy. Good for Rita. Good for Rita. Do you how, how do you feel about Spielberg bringing this classic tale back to our screens? Are you excited to see him update it? Well, or? the original is very, 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 very good. Very, very good. 
I mean, the only thing that's dated about it is the fact that they don't have Puerto Rican actors playing Puerto Rican roles. Yes. There's a lot of uh, blackface in it. Or, like Nat- Natalie Wood. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they just sort of tanned up these actors, uh, which dates it horribly. So I guess I hope they're going to, you know, hire Puerto Rican actors for this remake. No, they just want to make, they're going to give you that warm, <laughs> fuzzy feeling, you know, by uh, by also redoing the blackface or the Puerto Rico face. Well, it's, yeah, it's a good version. And that's just, you know, it's like a film of an amazing stage musical and the choreography is really great and the singing's amazing and the dancing's amazing so that kind of stuff's hard to top my I mean I think every time we discuss this Bilbo project we're always like ragging on his like crap politics <laughs> but I'm a bit worried in the sort of this kind of with the Puerto Rican situation at the moment that that would be like a sort of you know, it's about this uh, ethnic minority that are demonized and they can't get on, and it's going to be some state of the nation version of West Side Story, which well, is he, which is makes, true to the text. If but he like, makes his remake like a kind of uh, make Puerto Rico the fifty first state kind of campaign, then like I'll be delighted. <laughs> I mean, they, they should be an American state. Yeah. So you know, fair play to him if he wants to if he wants to do that angle. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. In a way, I think maybe like. Uh, the melodrama kind of suits Spielberg because he's such a sentimental director that this kind of like larger than life OTT emotion stuff well, is kind of more of bit, his wheelhouse. It's a bit like, you know, it's like if you if you have any sort of creative impulses or interests and there'll, there'll always be that one thing that you feel like, oh, I wish I'd done that. You know, it feels like the kind of thing that I would do. Uh, but when you're Spielberg, you just make that dream a reality. Wait a second. He's watching the original West Side Story, and he was like, I wish I had directed this film, and I'm going to make a few phone calls, and I will direct I, saying, I literally film. run DreamWorks, and I, shall... <laughs> <laughs> and I will I will bring my dreams to life. Um, yeah, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just it seems like another thing which we just 100% don't need. Um, more excited for it than I would like for some like Ready Player One, which was like really bad. It was, like, really bad. It was uh, so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of hate the idea of seeing it. Like, I, I love I love the musical. I think it's really brilliant. Loads so of bangers. I don't, I don't know really banger how, after banger. I don't know how wrong you can go. It's just a really solid tale, and, you know, I'd, I'd enjoy seeing the cinema probably in any kind of a version. Um, They're going to slow down all the music. It's going to be like a slow ballad version of America and the stuff. The movie's going to be five hours long. <laughs> Everything will be played at home. They've got speed. Mark Ronson in to like do versions of all the songs. <laughs> but Trump's at everything. They've got Brian Eno in. Not Eno. Not Eno. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I don't know why. I love Brian Eno. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. So my guess for like what possible angle you could take on it would be to make it um more a kind of naturalistic sort of I wouldn't say gritty, but I guess more kind of you know, not this kind of glorious Technicolor. Half it is obviously shot on a soundstage kind of a thing, because in the wake of um, things like Les Mis, where all the actors are doing the singing on set and stuff, and it, yeah, 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 and it and it looks like a like you know tr- a tragic drama basically first, and then a musical second. Maybe it will be made more in that kind of a style. Yeah, um, I don't think that's necessarily good, <laughs> but it would at least distinguish it from the original. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I'd probably go see it to be honest. Probably go see it. Probably go see it. Yeah. As long as as long as he calls people who can sing and dance, I don't really see how you can fuck it up. To yeah. Be and, and the that's, nationality that's, they're supposed to be playing. And the correct nationality. Yeah. And that's why you need one. You know, one of uh, our greatest directors of all time to helm this project. So why not? Why not? Can't wait. Can't wait. More, can't. <laughs> more power to his elbow. Yeah. Can't wait. Let him let him live out his dreams and his twilight years. You know. 
Let every project be the fulfillment of some like random desire that he has. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyway, no, I think wait. the point is that we absolutely cannot fucking wait to see this film. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Roma. This is the new film from Alfonso Cuaron, most recently the director of Gravity. He also directed Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and Itu Mama Tambien. And Children of Men. Children of Men, of course. Yeah, many, many great and acclaimed uh, movies. He's been kind of like away from what for a while, right? When did Gravity come out? Like 2013 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's, so it's been a big gap. He's been a while um, since, yeah, since we've seen a movie by him. And he's returned with this one, which is a, a fascinating and very personal project and uh i guess yeah an interesting kind of like turn for him to take um it's a semi-autobiographical film that takes place in 1970-1971 in mexico city i think roma is the name of like the part of the city in which the movie is set and it mainly follows uh cleo who is a maid in this uh household of a relatively um sort of well-off like middle-class couple and their children they have four young kids and she she looks after them alongside another maid called adela the the cast is entirely unknowns. Uh, none of them have Wikipedia pages. I can confirm for you right now. <laughs> um, but Cleo is played by Yalitza Aparicio, and there are many other names that you can look up <laughs> in your own time if you'd like to. Um, and it basically follows her uh, working with the family, dealing with the sort of family domestic disputes. Um, she starts dating a, a local boy. Um, and uh, political events that were going on at that time occasionally intrude, and the film kind of glides along uh, and sort of goes in uh, various different directions so i guess it's kind of yeah I, mean, I don't i don't know what else to say about the plot really i mean it's, it's kind like, of it's quite glued to purpose like a sort of year in the life kind of movie it's yes like, exactly exactly that's a good way of putting it yeah we uh, can't play a clip because well it's in it's in two different languages it's right in two it's languages in Met, we don't Met speak Sal either of them spanish yeah so here is some flamenco music no let's not let's not do that let's not do that let's not do that so this film is being released on netflix not a suitable platform <laughs> it is uh, it's, it's stunningly beautiful it's all shot in this extraordinary crisp black and white um shot on like did he shoot it on like 70 millimeter or something no, it's actually like? shot on digital but it's like it's shot on digital know, right okay the best digital it's you very can get. it's very widescreen format yeah very ultra hd it's definitely like at least 720p <laughs> um and he shot it himself he served as the director of photography on it and he couldn't get that's right emmanuel yeah. Lubiski. he was too busy just counting his oscars he gets a directing, producing, writing, cinematography, and editing credits 
did the catering. He did everything. <laughs> wrote the theme the tune, food, sung yeah. the theme tune. Um, and the kind of Quaron character in the film is just one of the boys in the family. And it's not even clear which one it would be. So he's he is kind of, you know, telling a story about his own childhood, but in which he's very much a peripheral figure. And it's kind of a tribute to um, this woman who helped raise him. Um, it's really good. Yeah, it's, it's I loved it. It's brilliant. It's really gripping. Um, and a fascinating film which holds its cars quite close to its chest and it's not quite sure um, where it's all going, but it's never less than compelling. And I think it sort of helps draw you in just with the sheer kind of beauty of it. And uh, although it's got the subject matter, at least at, at the beginning, is is very sort of quotidian. It's like displayed, in, you know, in this very grand way. Um, yeah, it's this kind of visual style that's sort of reserved for like epics. Yeah, it's like a David Lean film or something, but it's like mostly set, you know, inside one house, um, at least at the start of the film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then the canvas on which uh, the film is is operating expands as it it goes along. And I was uh, starting, I was quite blown away, like, by certain points in the movie, just by, like, what the budget of it must have been, because it's in no way a commercial type of film, but it looks like it cost a bomb. (laughs) Like... There's there there were sort of sudden massive crowd scenes that loom out of nowhere, and a lot of that action goes on in the background as yeah, well. Yeah, spend so a lot of money on the backgrounds. There's so much going on in the background, which is yeah one of the things that's really intriguing about the movie. What did you what did you make of it? I thought it was brilliant. I watched this slightly hungover, and it really did a fucking number on me. It's quite it gets you got that like, slight emotional um, kind of vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like just turns up the dial very slowly. Uh, yeah, in yeah. a way that's very effective. I mean, to like sort of reduce the movie slightly, it's about a character who's usually in the background being brought to the foreground. And this idea of like somebody you don't really notice sort of coming kind of looming larger, it's kind of like reflected in the whole movie in a very kind of clever way. It's like this kind of brilliant magic trick in that at the beginning, there's something almost voyeuristic about these kind of long sweeping shots where you sort of see her do all these kind of mundane tasks and you know, you see her first as a maid, you see her in her function within the household, and then you just kind of see her life outside it. And basically, you're kind of like watching her from a distance. And then at some point, the movie does this trick where you're so wrapped up in her life, and it heads towards a totally barnstorming finale, which I found like slightly too emotionally intense. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really did a fucking number on me. Uh, and I was quite teary by the end. Tears of joy, tears of sadness... All intermingling. All Impossible to tell which was which. Intermingling. Yeah, it's like, I was trying to write notes for this, and I read a bunch of reviews, and it is the sort of movie where people love it so much, like, the kind of hyperbole becomes ridiculous. It's like people say, like, every frame pulsates with empathy, and it's like, that is kind of true, though. I don't know, like, yeah. it's so, there's so much, like, love for the main character behind the camera, and it's so supremely confidently directed that it's hard not to get completely swept up in it. I think like what you were saying about how it has this voyeuristic element or like a distancing kind of element at the beginning of the film. And then like it ends up, you know, with you feeling like you're there with the character in a way that you didn't before uh, is an interesting device because that's kind of Quaron's own perspective on that person in that, you know, he experienced her in, in his childhood as someone who would just like do the dishes and yeah, yeah. was just kind of there and looked after you and you probably felt very fond of, but you didn't necessarily think very much about their inner life as children like don't tend to do about adults. And then like coming back to this as a grown man, you know, making this like sort of epic movie about her and wanting to explore her fully. It's like his journey is yeah. the same one as 
the, the, the you know the, yeah, the structure of the film it, it's it's kind of like she's the object of the movie and the subject of the movie at the same time yeah like he's putting her under this microscope in a way and sort of asking himself what was the deal with this woman who was in my life and you know was important to me but who i never had access to um and so you know creating her as this fictional character and putting her in all these different scenarios and you know seeing what she gets up to and stuff so it's very it's kind of interesting in that way and there's definitely an element of like you, you know you can tell that it's a sort of personal exploration for the director even though his own character in the movie is very minor it's like his own just kind of one of of kids yeah yeah <laughs> like his kind of you know psychological involvement in the movie he's created is like really really obvious i think from it and and i think like you know you know it's almost a limitation in a way because the I mean, I think by by putting someone against such an epic canvas, which he does in this movie, like you inevitably make them seem kind of smaller, and um, like you can tell that this is a, that I think this is a film that's made from an outsider's perspective in terms of someone whose life was not that. Yeah, but it's so uh, sort of earnest in its desire to uh, faithfully, you know, and compassionately depict other people that that that's very kind of winning. Um, yeah, yeah, hard not to be won over by it. Yeah, like it reminded me most of just like uh, I always feel like completely uh, too stupid to like make any sort of comparisons. <laughs> it's very sort of European in its style, and it reminded me most of like recently like this Vigenseth movie, which has like a similar like long mm. shot things, and just the whole thing of um, just having an incredibly enigmatic actress doesn't say much, and just focusing on them is like something I feel like is almost like a cliche of like European art house movies. Like, find me the most enigmatic woman you can find. It's like put a camera on them. It's like the movie is now incredible <laughs> because this actress is so charismatic that you're like, what is Cleo thinking about? Yeah, I didn't like. I I don't. I think it's an open question really whether the movie gets under the skin of that character at all. Like. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I don't know, but she certainly is. I mean, the performance that she puts in is really brilliant. Yeah, there's something a bit unknowable about her. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. I don't. Yeah, it doesn't quite. You know, it's not like now I've written the unauthorized it's, it's not a biography of portraits. Yeah, yeah, like a full one or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a sort of stunning and unique film. I think I recommend it to anyone to check out. It's definitely an experience watching it. Yeah. Can't wait to watch it on my what, laptop. To watch it again. <laughs> yeah. I've got a contract with three and they do free data for Netflix. So I'll be watching it every lunch break forever. <laughs> <laughs> Firing it up. Checking it out. I'll be watching right on my lunch break forever. <laughs> what bigger tribute can you, can you give to a film? Yeah. I'm not saying it's good yet, but I'm watching it <laughs> every one of my lunch breaks. And we'll just... never eat a lunch again without watching this film. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-quenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Do you want to hear about another excellent film? No, I want to hear you tear strips out of some bullshit. Okay, prepare for the strip tearing to begin. <laughs> so, Assassination Nation. This is written and directed by Sam Levinson. Here is the official synopsis. High school senior Lily and her three best friends live in a haze of texts, posts, selfies, and chats. Shut Just like me. the rest of the world, their small town, called Salem, get it, gets turned upside down when an anonymous hacker starts to reveal personal messages and secrets of thousands of people. 
As anger erupts into full-blown violence, the four girls soon find themselves in a fight for their lives against an armed mob. Here is a clip of one of the teenage girls outside the group talking about Instagram and how she's got some admirer across the internet. You know, how teens talk. I mean, the internet is amazing. Like, this guy in Minnesota, he's like 42, whatever. But basically, he subscribed to my Amazon wish list, and now, legit, he just buys me shit all the time. Why? I don't know. I guess he just really likes my Insta, you know? Like, he likes that I'm really real, and, like, I'm cool, and, you know, I'm a free soul. <laughs> it's really sad, because basically 90% of people are just so sad and lonely and, like, have such an unfulfilling life. <laughs> If I'm, like, inspiring people, you know, and my life is so cool and, like, people connect with me on such a level, then, like, basically my job for the day is done. Danny, I haven't seen this movie, but it sounds very relatable to me. I I text frequently and I post almost constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Weekly. (laughs) So any film that is about the culture that comes out of posting, I feel like it's going to speak to me. How did you find it? I thought it was terrible. I hated the film. Uh, it's a very irritating film that presents itself as some sort of feminist statement, but is deeply shallow and quickly crosses the line from critique to uh, complicity. It's very poorly thought out and doesn't earn the satire it purports to be. And I guess like these kinds of movies, they kind of swing for the fences. So they're, you know, there's something about it sets out to like shock you and it actually begins with a trigger warning. This is the trigger warning. I was like, trigger warning when this trigger warning came out. Like, this is going to be shit. Yeah. It's like the following movie features this toxic masculinity, uh, attempted rape, this is fucking, misogyny. This is unsufferable. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, it kind of like sets itself as gauntlet of like the kind of shocking state of the nation address it's going to be. And it just is not that. It's very, very boring. And for all its posturing, its basic conclusion is that there is misogyny and it's bad. It doesn't have anything to say about that. I feel, you know, I've just already said, well, the, the movie took like over two hours to say that. I've just said it in what, like two seconds? <laughs> Much better storyteller than Sam Levinson. And to make this point about violence towards women, there's a lot of violence towards women in the film. Mm. Lots of scene. There's like a scene of attempted rape. There's a scene of like a woman getting almost lynched. And all this stuff, I think, was just there for titillation. I don't think it was really justified. Sounds like you're a snowflake and you couldn't handle it. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, like, I'm sure Sam Levison is, well, I'm sure he's listening to this and I'm sure he's delighted by this response. But even if you remove the sort of dumb politics or inarticulacy aside, I think it's just a very poorly constructed film. And it uses the excuse of, like, this is a sort of crazy gonzo satire bro get with it to just disguise some very sloppy storytelling. It's very choppily edited. There's big leaps in time. It goes from the initial leak of the data and it just cuts in time and it's like the place is a police state. And it's like, I couldn't be asked to like work out the steps that would lead to this. So it just cuts to uh, people being, you know, rounded up by an angry mob. And the characters, as you heard in that clip, are all caricatures. They're what some white middle-aged dude thinks millennials are like. And the film's attempts at humor fall painfully flat. There's a recurring thing where punchlines to scenes are just famous hashtag or memes. There's the last line of the movie is like a sort of hashtag phrase. And I was rolling my eyes like nobody's business. And I looked up Sam Levinson's like previous film. It's his second film. And his first one was this very like... Just judging from the poster and the synopsis, it's a middle-of-the-road thing about a dysfunctional family getting together. 
And I was like, this makes perfect sense. It's like a boring kind of sub Noah Baumbach <laughs> type director who couldn't be asked to write a film about like how he didn't get on with his dad or whatever. And it spent way too much time on Twitter. And he's like, oh, right. I've done my research. Instagram. Uh, people like want women to look naked, but then they like harass them for like being naked or whatever. And I'm like, you're just a fucking <laughs> moron, Sam Levinson. I hate your stupid movie. And uh, yeah, it's just very irritating. Also, yeah. like, it's something, the whole movie is almost like just him proving how much of a woke bay he is. He's like, you know, other other guys think this, but I've made the film about it, so yeah. I'm actually the wokest bay in the, Hollywood. The entire movie takes place in a, a woman on Twitter's DMs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's also something annoying in that, like, he doesn't sort of, like, risk anything. You know, he's not in the movie. If you want to make a movie about misogyny, like... Put yourself under the microscope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a sort of smugness to it. He's so removed from it. It's like, I've I've looked at Twitter and I've got a handle on things and this is what it's all about. Yeah. I couldn't be asked to write a plot, you know, so <laughs> just sort of mad shit kind of happens. <laughs> and uh, thank, thank you, please. Where's so the awards? Is the film, would you say, more about contemporary misogyny in a post-Me Too way or is it more about the uh, shallow and like manipulative nature of social media in the, the contemporary era? Or is it like doing both at once? Yeah, I guess it's going for both at once. Kind of about slut shaming, really. Slut shaming, yeah. Is, is, is the it's main like revenge takeaway. porn type Yeah, thing exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe his reaction to like Me Too was like, you know, well, he, like I can make a film about something that is I don't do. Yeah. I 100% don't do, which is go to high school and uh, you know, send mean uh, messages on social media. Yeah. Sucks. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Danny, the Orcs. <laughs> the Orcs. The Orcs. Not the Orcs. Are they? Are the Orcs racist? Like are the orcs themselves are the, the orcs, racist or the characters of the, the characters. orcs? Is J.R. Yeah. Well, there was a story in the. Uh, it was actually in a number of different respectable news outlets, including the Times, the Telegraph, the Daily Mail. They all reported something along the lines of uh, orcs declared quote racist in Lord of the Rings or something like that. So that like wow. a bunch of people could share it and be like, "Look at what the bloody liberals establishment has turned its eye on next." The the, fan- the, the humble fantasy orc. <laughs> Which is clearly it's not racist. That's a fantasy creature. It's yeah, not, it's not even human. How could you possibly be racist towards it? And so yeah, I saw this with someone, um, one of these types, formulating um, on Twitter. And uh, the source for this um, story was just the thing that a guy who I'd not heard of said on a podcast. <laughs> it it's, made me think it, that like if it, some Daily Mail journalist says to one of ours, we could you could get some we could get some national coverage, man, just with like yeah one like semi interesting or edgy top you know remark. It was a sci fi writer who had recently written a sort of like modern version of Lord of the Rings or something, like a like a short story parody. But in it he cited a complaint by the author Michael Moorcock, just like looking at the politics of Lord of the Rings. If you want to put it on that microscope is like uh, you know, just certain races are bad, and it's like, what would that look like in a you know, twenty first century context? Like the movie Bright. <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe, um, you know what? That's something that we didn't say when we reviewed that movie. Like that's got deeply problematic racial politics, but it's very explicitly a transplant of Lord of the Rings to contemporary LA. Yeah, and like then he turns the orcs into like, black Americans, gangsters, Latinos. Yeah, and 
maybe all he was really doing is illuminating the latent racism in the original story. Yeah. So I mean, there's maybe the he whole... Maybe doing us a service. I mean, the Orcs aside, there's the whole men from the East bit, which is explicitly it's very, very racist. racist, yeah. I mean, isn't the whole point of having Orcs and Goblins and stuff is like, you can just have a fun, like, war book without any of the moral nuances and stuff, right? They're evil. They're pure evil. You don't have to worry about their wives and kids or whatever. Yeah, it's okay to murder them. Whatever, I think like, you know, like I, I think the di- the difficulty lies in creating, you know, some kind of thing that's like deserves to be murdered or whatever, but like also has a society and basically sort of human style cognition. Um, but they're just construed in such a way as like it's okay to murder them because they're in a different species. So I think the racist logic of it is not no, especially no, not controversial all. to note. You know, like. I don't. I no idea. No idea why this was considered to be such an astonishing thing to say. But um, yeah, it was. What's it was your take fine. on it? Do you think the? Think yeah, the, I think well, well, the the more the Moorcock charge against it, it wasn't so much the racism, but that it like that Tolkien is expressing basically a kind of middle class conservatism and everything uh, in its right place, sort of. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's probably true. I mean, I don't think anyone has ever detected like radical politics in lord of the rings well you know the kings are supposed to be kings samwise is a little humble servant yeah i mean aragorn is this like anointed you know man who should be king thing and he just becomes the king by virtue of his birth and the cherry on top of that is that he's he's literally from a slightly different species or something of like superhumans you know like lives really long or whatever so so you know he's got to be the king he's got to live so fucking long and uh, yeah, obviously there is something kind of conservative about like the ideal society being this like semi-rural um, existence of sort of adorable pipe-smoking uh, creatures <laughs> yeah. who don't do anything important. You know, like whatever. I mean, I, I think I think the, the the only thing that people could take umbrage is is reading any politics into it whatsoever. But um, you know, that's just the nature of cultural objects, isn't it? Like they carry the marks of their creators' values in them. You know, that's just how it is. So there's a, I think it's the sort of thing, like, I think when, when right-wingers get really angry about this sort of thing, they feel like, you know, the liberal academics like, want to take their toys away from them or whatever. And it's like, I, I think n- noting that things have, you know, expressed, like, conservative or bad values is not, it's not necessary to say that, like, oh, you've got to put that in a bin now. Stop watching Lord of the Rings. Take your DVDs out and burn them. You know, it's like, just just watch it and have a great time. You know, and you can also think about things critically. That is true. Are the Orcs Cockney in the book? Are they like working class Londoners? Well, are they all saying like apples and pears all the time? Well, they are in the movies, right? They're full on. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, they got Cockney accents. Yeah, I don't. I feel that's just a general thing. It's like in the recent Mummy movie, like, you know. Uh, the Mummy has a Cockney accent. No, but like Jekyll, like when he's evil, he's Cockney. And when oh, he's right, good, yeah. he's posh. That's right. Yeah. And it's like if you're uneducated. And but but urban like if you've got under if you've got a west country accent you're just like sweet and innocent but <laughs> yeah, if like you're true. london and like working class you're obviously evil yeah well the lord of the rings is very anti-industrial so maybe that's what's being coded in there by making the you know orcs the cockneys yeah i don't i don't really know i think like what they should have done is made had a had a good cockney character to balance it out they should have had faramir be a cockney or something <laughs> yeah or legolas maybe make legolas a cockney <laughs> why not yeah what do you think, Tony? You, will you be burning your copy of Lord of the Rings now to racist? No, but I'll just be watching some Charles Burnett films afterwards to balance it out. He's an important African American filmmaker. Just so you, of course, I knew you, that. Did you know that? Yeah, gonna watch, you know, Killer of Sheep afterwards. I watch Killer of Sheep. I watch yeah. Killer of and Sheep, and then like to sleep with anger, just to balance it all out. 
Yeah, I've seen some films. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm actually Clive's anointed blackface expert now. <laughs> so I'm going to really brush so up on my African American film studies. On these things carry a lot of weight now. Yeah. Anyway, join us next week. We'll be reviewing some more films. We I don't know what they're going to be, but, but we'll be reviewing. We'll them. be reviewing them. Alrighty. Want to see Creed two? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Let's Why not? Yeah. Why not? Good. <laughs> cool. Okay. All right. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. We've had a breather! Get a fire going! I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? What about them? Head fresh. They are not for eating. Ooh, they look tasty. Just a mouthful. A bit off the flank! <laughs> Looks like meat back on my menu! Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.